Lost in Sound is sponsored by Audio-Technica. Audio-Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. They make studio-quality, yet affordable products, because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. So wherever you are in the world, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm an author, broadcaster and lecturer based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you now from. And this is a show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music, creativity, life. The things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Cozy Funny Tutti, Jean-Michel Jarre, Mickey Blanco and Thurston Moore. And today on the show you can hear a conversation I had with Samuel T. Herring. My book, Coming to Berlin, is in all good bookshops or via the publisher's website. And so yes, here we are. It's a really, really, really cold Monday morning in the beginning of December in Berlin. I hope wherever you are, you're having a fantastic one. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. I certainly enjoyed having it with singer, artist, rapper and actor Samuel T. Herring, best known as frontman of the Baltimore-based synth-pop group Future Islands. And we spoke ahead of the release in January of the band's sixth album called People Who Aren't There Anymore. Um, as a self-described non-musician, Samuel is an artist who I really feel understands how to use his voice and his physicality as an instrument, as something of pure expression. Um, I think the two words that I'd use to describe Samuel's style the most are emotion and performance. And this came crashingly onto a global radar around a decade into the band's career, four albums into the band's career in 2014, ahead of the release, around about the release of their fourth album titled Singles. Um, and I wouldn't say it was one thing, but a performance on Letterman of the band performing what has now become such a seminal tune, Seasons Waiting on You, became such a genuine pop culture moment. Um, I remember... I was addicted to watching the YouTube of this performance. I had to keep going back and watching it. And that got me into the band. It got me into the other stuff. Um, following this, the band grappled with the ups and downs of sudden fame and attention before getting into their flow again several years later. And, and Sam's someone as well on a personal level that's been very frank and open about his own 
life and situation, dealing with addictions. And, and we talk about some of this in, in, in what I think you're going to find is a very frank and feels to me very honest, genuine chat. Along the way, he's also collaborated with a wide bevy of other artists. Perhaps, I think for me, um, most notably, um, lending his voice to the Bad, Bad, Not Good song, Time Moves Slow in 2016. It's a, another ubiquitous song. Um, as an actor, you can now see him in the Apple Plus drama, The Changeling with Lakeith Stanfield. And I love his work. I was so excited to have this chat. And I was thinking I was so excited that I forgot to turn on my camera on Zoom at the beginning um, for a few seconds. And this is where we go into the chat. Are you going faceless, Paul? Um, oh yes, no, I'm not. Sorry, that was a that was a flaw. Um, I like I like I like I like the faces. Okay, cool. hey, how's it going? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's 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 so strange this whole thing with Zoom as well, isn't it? I mean, we've had a few years now. Do you feel accustomed to it now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really do. I think even more so. I mean, it's it's kind of weird as a touring musician, FaceTime or Zoom or whatever has kind of revolutionized being away from home and just the sense that you can really check in with people and see how people are doing um in you know and, and it makes me think about the old days of touring and and uh going through dead zones with like a flip phone and <laughs> <laughs> i think someone's breaking up with me right now but i'm not sure <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know how we're we're kind of hyper connected and that's i mean of course that's like a good and bad thing give give and take but but yeah it is kind of crazy how Zoom has become such a huge part of our lives because of the pandemic and everything. You know, I think the way people work, the way people interact. I, I hadn't really thought about it before, the whole kind of concept of like going back in time. It's kind of crazy to think of when I think about like festivals in the 90s being like pre-internet, organized pre-internet. It's quite outstanding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it actually sounds terrifying. Because uh, I remember when we... When we were first coming up as musicians in Greenville, North Carolina, with our first band that was before Future Islands, me, William, and Garrett, uh, we, you know, we were making a go of it. And I just remember the band that was kind of the band in town when we were there, uh, this rock group called Valiant Thor. I remember Herbie, who, you know, he was probably maybe only like four or five years older than us, but he'd already like built up a, and you know, this is 2002, he already had like his black book of you know, these are the venues around North Carolina and the South. These are the contacts. These are the people that run them. And he like gifted it to us as he left town as mm -hmm. like uh, as kind of a vote of confidence. And and uh, that was something, of course, it meant a lot to us at the time. But but then, you know, we were kind of by that point. I mean, we booked all our first tours. William, our bass player, booked all our first tours through like MySpace, you know, mm. When, before Facebook, you know, so he was booking shows through MySpace and this kind of thing. So we were kind of, we were, we were before the true digital age, but kind of on the cusp of the, of not having to do the true DIY. So we were, I mean, I remember our first tours, we would have to print like Bibles from MapQuest, mm. you know, <laughs> and you would, I remember going to New York City and getting lost and having to somehow get back to the 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 path that we were on to then redo the steps but just like terrified of where are we how are we getting home 
And yeah, it's just such a different world touring uh, from those early days. And I can't even imagine when you were just like, we have a map. Mm. We have an atlas of the world and we're going on tour. <laughs> I, it's quite crazy to think, you know, just like the, you know, I, I do feel sorry for the map industry, the print map industry <laughs> now. <laughs> and, and you know, because, you know, um, there's been quite a lot of incarnations and a lot of, you know, a lot of things that have happened and people who aren't there anymore is coming out in January. Um, so does you, do you, when a new album comes out, do you get reflective? Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, the thing is, you know, the songs, the songs, of course, are coming from a place of a reflection, but they kind of are, they're the initial exorcism. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of, you get it out, you make the demo, and then you do the recording process, you know, later on, um, which, which brings its own kind of new reflection because you're, you know, you're worried about, you know, this is going to last forever and I need to reconnect with the original emotion, mm -hmm. you know, whether that song is six months old and you're recording it forever, or it's two or three years old and you're recording it forever there's pressure to it but then i think the big thing is when you get to this this uh the interview process <laughs> the press process of an album and that's when you really start to uh to really think about well it's it's kind of before that's so the way you put the mm -hmm. album together um and constructing it in the track listing and then when um when i'm talking about songs and people are asking me questions within within songs like did you mean this and, like, <laughs> and that's when i'm really like did I mean that? I'm not sure. <laughs> and and also that's that's kind of like a beautiful thing to me about the creative process because I am I'm definitely much more of a an emotional an emotionally inspired person as opposed to uh being really intellectually mm. trying to do something. Like I I really just want emotions to flow out like what the music what the music the guys create brings out of me. So then so then you kind of go from this emotional process to this intellectual process. And that's 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 the thing that uh it brings me joy, although it also like can crush me sometimes because it because it reveals things, you know. And mm -hmm. uh and within the the thought of an album, even I mean, people who aren't there anymore, that title coming to that later on after these songs mm -hmm. are constructed, after the whole album is constructed, and then finding the title, you're just like oh this hurts me in a whole new way because yeah. now i'm thinking about all these other things like because that doesn't only represent the people that are out of our lives it represents people who we were you know mm. the people that we are no longer and and the people that we've been at times in our lives for the for the loved ones in our lives um mm. not being there for the big occasions at times uh in you know the life on the road of being on stage and then being gone like we're in your city for 12 hours bye <laughs> <laughs> so that there must um, be that there's such a transient nature in a way to it yeah yeah and i i mean i think you can listen to um you know that that's definitely a running thread through all our albums not purposefully it's just because it's our lives you know being on the road is something that you you hear in our music a lot because it is you know we're reflecting on that the life that mm -hmm. we live and, you know, and that, that goes into the same ideas of uh, just work within uh, everyone's life. You know, mm. the things. you know, I, I uh, like my partner is in the entertainment industry as well. And, you know, she talks about, you know, sometimes she has to go away for a month or two or, you know, she's she's working so much um, that she doesn't get as much time with with her child. Mm. Um, and then but then she's like, but then when I'm off. I just have 24 hours a day all the time. And it makes me think about my parents who really just, they worked, you know, eight to 
six, seven every day. And, and that was normal, but I was like, I guess I didn't really spend a lot of time. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I guess they were there, but they were working and, and it's kind of, it is that same kind of uh, distance that's created because, you know, distance isn't always Mm. far away. (laughs) You can be, you can be face to face with someone. You can be sitting on a couch watching your favorite show that you share with your loved one and you guys actually are not together <laughs> you're complete you're alone there's distance mm-hmm. because of the lack of communication or a lack of intimacy a lack of bonding um and so yeah you know it makes you think about all those things the road just kind of turbocharges everything. <laughs> mm. I, I I can imagine that, yeah. And and because you say you're an emotional songwriter, so I I guess and you're not so intellectual in the process. So I guess when it comes to doing things like interviews or or when you, when you listen back to the album, do do things like sort of is it quite surprising sometimes how people interpret the music? You know, do you sometimes feel like oh my god, I'm being psychoanalyzed? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> I guess that's kind of that is part of what I love about it, you know, mm-hmm. and and because it is, you know, I understand art as art, you know, mm-hmm. and coming from coming from music from an with with kind of a visual arts background, you know, being in, you know, I I flunked out of art school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't graduate, but I was there. Uh, <laughs> I was there for a few years. Um but you know that critique process is a really important part of the process and then and uh allowing people's allowing people to apply their own um experiences and being open to it and actually allowing that to to uh to open yourself up to that art is like its own form of empathy you know mm, yeah. um it's its own form of of uh understanding things in different ways and being open to to ourselves to change as well because i think as a younger man in writing uh i you know especially writing about breakups there was there was so much like frustration and anger and sometimes rage and like really deep despair and i think mm-hmm. as i've gotten older it's naturally you know there's a calmness and an acceptance to it and a way to look at things not so one-sided mm-hmm. you know early on it would just be like you did this to me <laughs> and then uh, never like, Oh yeah, I kind of did this to us too. Or I did this to myself, you know, and never taking those, taking that responsibility for, for our actions. So I, I think in a way allowing, giving people my emotions and allowing them to, to hopefully learn or mm-hmm. feel, you know, cause a big part of what we try to do and what I really hope to do is to just allow people to connect with their own emotions. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I think in being, you know, for all intents and purposes, I am a a pretty normal masculine looking guy, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I I think it's important to show that I can also be on stage and be a very powerful man. Mm-hmm. And I can also be a vulnerable man um, mm-hmm. to engage with my emotions and to hopefully allow people to say, oh, I can also engage with my emotions and not be weak. I can also uh, dance and not feel like I look silly. You know, I can, I can feel power in, in uh, a vulnerability. So, so that's, that's like a big part of the, of the arts for me um, is, is really about like expectations and things, but, but allowing people, you know, uh, you know, cause the songs change for us as well, mm-hmm. you know, um, as you, 
as you grow older and you understand things differently than that young kid who didn't really understand uh, his emotions or his actions or um, I, I don't know. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I think it's important. It's an important part of the process because it uncovers new things. Um, and for, for the, for the artist as well as the audience. Mm, that's a really lovely way of putting it. And, and like over, over this kind of timeline and stuff and of the kind of reflections, if you look back on it now, where, where do you feel, was there like a point where you feel like, okay, music has come into my life in a way that feels a little bit more than just, you know, enjoying what, what's on the radio or what, you know, buying a record once in a while? Well, I mean, I guess there were probably a few different moments like that for me. I mean, you know, I always reflect on the fact when I was like five or six, I had like a Marvin Gaye tape that it like really, it made me very emotional, I guess, as a child. And for some reason that was, I was drawn to that. And, you know, later on that was uh, being drawn to like uh, John Coltrane, you know, in my teenage years and being like, oh, so it's not just words and stories that can make me feel a certain uh and and really that's what it was it wasn't like wanting a sadness it was it was a uh, music that was engaging me on an emotional level like mm-hmm. like uh music that was giving me a feeling so like to hear coltrane years later and uh i always forget the name of the song it's on blue train mm-hmm. um it's, it's a beautiful slow ballad and uh i was just like oh oh this you know this this horn is killing me you know and so it wasn't just the it wasn't just the lyrics um, or the, the song that was pulling something. It was It was literally like the melody um, and the movement of, of the voice of an instrument. And then later on, you know, that would become, you know, around that same time I was discovering hip hop and started writing. Um, so I kind of discovered poetry and hip hop at the same time. Um, it was like Theodore Retka, Carl Sandburg and uh, Karis One. <laughs> <laughs> Were, were like really important to me as teachers in writing. And then that kind of gave me, that was something that gave me voice um, mm. and made me feel like I could be a part of the music as a, as a non-instrumentalist. Um, like I just don't play any instruments. Um, mm. It was a non-instrumentalist. Then I felt like, okay, I, I connect with the writing and now I connect with the voice. Um, and that was four, 13, 14 years old. But but even up until college, like I, I wanted to be an MC when I got to college. And then I met William and we just started this uh, performance art piece that was our first band, Art Lord and the Self-Portraits. Um, and then I just kind of followed this path. But that was not my intention. You know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a teacher. That was my plan for my life when I was 18 years old, going off to school. And then, you know, five years after that, I was. A college dropout. I was getting clean from drugs, like a drug addiction. I was broke and I was washing dishes. And that was kind of when music became, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I don't have, <laughs> I ruined my school career. <laughs> mm. I have, I have no assets, like <laughs> no job assets. And, you know, and I'm kind of restarting my life because I, you know, sold a couple years of my own life with drug abuse. And then, mm. And uh, but I was like, but music is the thing, you know, music was the one thing that still brought me a lot of joy that still felt like like uh, I it it was like gave me a purpose and a place. You know, mm-hmm. there was 
There was joy taken from the audience. There was joy given to an audience. And that was that was when I decided to move to Baltimore. And at the same time, William had the same idea. And then we convinced Garrett to move. Mm. And that's and that's when Future Islands became or like I feel like that was when we so that was like two years into the band that uh, that discovery at 23, which was like, OK, now we're going to do this thing. Um, and, you know, from 2008 to 2012, we were just on the road. But but yeah, there's there's like a lot of those. There's a lot of moments in reflection, you can say, you know, that kind of gave me gave me a voice or made me feel like I could be a part. But it really came from that initial thing of of knowing that music like it gave me something before I had a voice, you know, oh, and, and then and then being like, well, what do I have to give is, is kind of the next step, because now we really feel like we're a part of a cycle. You know, when you're a young band, you look up to you look up to these other bands that inspire you. And then after 10 years, you actually are meeting them. Mm. <laughs> you know, you're you're opening for them. You're meeting them at festivals. And then you're like, well, we're like, you know, we're uh, you know, there's a mutual respect and and you feel like you're a part of the same family. And then 10 years later, as we are now, now we're meeting the young bands that that we inspired and that's that's like a really really beautiful part of this cycle as well sorry i kind of i'm a big talker so no I'm... i love it i love it absolutely <laughs> love it it's, it's great yeah it's interesting you're talking about cycles so you view you know sort of seeing yourself as part of the continuum now rather yes. than you know and 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 is that sort of does that does that sort of change your perspective in terms of like confidence have you ever felt like you know, you didn't feel it was your place to make music or, you know, to enter into the realm of like, you know, you've got the greats like John Coltrane and stuff. Did it did it take quite a lot of period of time of confidence for you to to become with the journey with the music? I would say probably. I mean, I, I always talk about my greatest weaknesses and my greatest strengths. And mm. one of them is this one of my greatest weaknesses is definitely like uh problems with self-confidence and self-consciousness mm. um but at the same time that's something that i really utilize that i think if if you saw me on stage you wouldn't be like that guy doesn't seem like he's confident <laughs> you know mm. what i mean that guy seems like he's very self-conscious about himself as he's like <laughs> as mm. as i'm tearing myself <laughs> open for people and and uh and allowing myself to be seen so so it's it, i think those uh those things are are working within me all the time. Like I've never mm. felt like I had a place. Like I never felt like I belonged within any canon, you know. Mm. And 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 it is through it is through this these steps and the and uh in the years where I'm really starting to accept like we're almost like a legacy act, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Around, you know, we're coming up on 18 years in February of this band. Um yeah. and 21 years together of uh, me, William and Garrett writing music together. And that's something I'm very, very proud of. I think like 10 years ago, we could have said, you know, oh, we finally got a break. You know, mm. I mean, we were 30 when we got a break, but it was like, we finally got a break. And then, uh, you know, you're like, I feel really lucky that I got a break, but that, but luck isn't what carries a band. You know mm. what I mean? Luck doesn't, luck might get you some money. Um, it may, you know, it may lead to other things, but it can also run out really quickly. And I think that hard work is something that I really respect in other artists and other musicians. Mm. Uh, you know, there's there's musicians that I've met that 
I did, I'm not a fan of their work, but they've been doing this for 30, 40 years. And I'm, there's nothing I can do, but give my utmost respect and, mm -hmm. and want to learn from those people because it's not an easy job and it's not something that, uh, cause you are like really putting yourself out to people. So mm -hmm. I think part of future Island story is that we always felt like an underdog. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a couple years where we didn't feel like an underdog, you know, when we finally got a break at 30 years old, which that's an underdog story is getting a break at 30 years old. <laughs> but, but that, that spotlight actually, I think worked against us. Like we didn't yeah. really, we appreciated the, the extra shows and getting in front of more people, but at the same time, it kind of took away that inertia of like, uh, cause it, there's something about when you feel like, Ah, people don't understand me. I'm going to show mm. them, <laughs> like you know what I mean. I'm going to show them who I am. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win them over. Like that's such a mm. good feeling. Like it's such a good feeling to be, uh, for for me at least, to kind of uh, come into a place with with uh, no expectation or a low expectation and try to fight against that. Um, as opposed to coming in where people are like, all right, they, you're like these guys are supposed to wow me now, wow mm. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so in a way like those those years after singles uh that were really like around our fifth album the far field were really kind of they were difficult for us because we we were ready for like a bigger moment but then i don't think we really understood and we kind of like lost ourselves within that because we had lost that uh that thing that we kind of understood for ourselves for so mm -hmm. long which is that the media doesn't really get it the mainstream doesn't really get it but we have a group of you know like fans or audience who really mm. it's really important to them what we do and they really connect and that's who we make music for um and so i think <laughs> when we were like i think everybody gets it <laughs> mm. but but it was but it was it was all just like smoke and mirrors for a second people kind of they caught on to a performance so i think i think it's been good with with this album and the last mm. album as long as you are was really our trying to return to uh, who we were and believing in ourselves and not trying mm -hmm. to kind of make music for anybody else but ourselves, which we had done for years before until the far field. We were like, oh, I guess people like this kind of music. Let's try. <laughs> we can write mm. all those songs. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that idea, you should never make music for anybody but yourself. Because the fact mm. is, is, as a musician, you have to play that music. Mm. And if you don't like it, especially if it's if you write a big hit and you're like, like yeah, I just wrote this song for a big hit, and then you have to play it over and over. Here. Yeah, I think that happens to a lot of musicians um, who you know, because because you do feel the need to do that. Like, hey, maybe mm -hmm. I can write this song. Maybe people will like this, but then you you feel disconnected from it because it didn't come from that that very pure place. Mm. And I think people can tell as well, can't they? You know, I think people can tell when, um, you know, if music is sort of a, a sort of a communicate or art is a communication of souls between like, you know, someone making it and the receiver, you know, I think people can kind of tell when it's not coming from a pure place. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And there's, there's something to be said. Like, I think, I think you can trick a, like a greater audience, but the people that have been there for you, are going to be like this isn't them you know mm -hmm. what i mean and and, I, and really that's those are the most important people you know those those supporters uh they do become a part of your they become a part of your life i mean they are mm -hmm. literally the people who allow us to eat and uh and continue to create art um and so 
So I, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing because you you want that larger audience, but then you kind of need to to pull back and understand like what the most important thing is, which is mm. really really connecting with yourself so that you can really connect with with people. Um, because if you're going inward, you're not you're not going to speak to a hundred people, um, mm. but there's going to be like two people that really need your words. And in the mm. greater world, I mean, everything's global now, you know, we're also connected through all the different streaming services and YouTube and, and uh, TikTok, like to find music that uh, there's actually so much space for so many different music uh, musicians to exist, which mm. I think is really great on a, on like a macro level. I mean, <laughs> in some ways, I mean, of course, streaming like hurts us sometimes too, because it doesn't mm. pay us, but um, it doesn't pay musicians um, properly, or I mean, I don't, I don't know the models, but, but, uh, but at the same time, I feel like you could be the the musicians that we were in our bedrooms twenty years ago, and actually find your audience, which mm. I think is a thing because because that's that's what people want, you know. Anyways, I'm I'm rambling. I was just thinking, like, you know, there are people out here who don't even listen to music; <laughs> <laughs> they do exist. They, they do, do exist. They're like people that don't like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think fries as well. Everyone likes fries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. If there was somebody that told me like, nah, never yeah. ate them. Don't like them. I don't, I, I'm opening the car door. On the- <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It was, it's a deal breaker. It's a big deal breaker. And now it stayed with me though. I met someone years ago who told me, I don't remember the, I don't really remember the connect. They might have been like a Uber driver or something, but they were just like, "What do you do?" You know, just trying to make small talk on the way to the airport. I'm like, oh, "I'm a musician," and they're like, "Yeah, I, I don't really listen to music." Like, oh, you don't listen to music? They're like, no, nah, I got like this is like a 35 year old person just like, "No, nah, I got like three CDs." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> why, why even have three? <laughs> and I was like, maybe, I maybe they were why. gifts." Yeah, I'm like. I'm like going away on a tour, so tired, like to go do my job and you know my passion. And then I'm just like, I guess there are people out here who just don't even like music. This is yeah. the weirdest. It is strange, isn't it? I mean, I guess the world has to have all types, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but yeah. But with um, I mean, because you're talking about like this kind of big thing that happened, and then going back to like seasons, and then the Letterman thing, particularly, uh, did that take you by surprise? You know, when that happened, when that all kind of kicked off, and the amount of attention, did it feel like it was part of the continuum that you were working for at the time, or was that just no. like whoa? Yeah, it was very, it was really strange. Um, you know, the the thing about doing Letterman was we didn't. We we actually didn't think it was going to happen because we had been told our album before singles on the water. We had been told that we were going to get Letterman and we were going to get make our TV debut. And uh, I remember we had this. I, I well, I shouldn't say the guy's name, anyways. But the guy that they that the label brought in to do press was like, "I promise to you, I will not, <laughs> I will not quit this album cycle until I do on late night TV." And we're like, "That's great!" And then. Uh, and then we just kind of never heard from him again. <laughs> and Letterman did happen. And and I remember after we did Letterman, you know, three years later, William was like, I guess that guy's finally not working for us now. <laughs> <laughs> we got a late night. But 
But yeah, I think, you know, we had to cancel a show, which is something we never do um, mm. just to play it. And we almost didn't cancel because we are so against canceling shows. We were like, no, nah, yeah, screw late night. Like we can't, you know, we're not going to let down the 300 people in Charlottesville. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that's messed up. And then our label's just like, you are insane. Like you have mm. to do so. So we did, we canceled the show and we, we did Letterman and that night we, you know, we drove back to Baltimore, picked up our buddies, which is about a four hour drive, picked up our buddies we were going on tour with um, in Baltimore and then drove another three hours to Richmond, Virginia, slept on somebody's floor and then hit, you know, eight hours down the road the next day to, on our way to South by Southwest. And that was our first South by Southwest because that was something we, we'd always mm. kind of been against because we didn't really feel we didn't have a media presence. So there was no reason mm. to go do it for free, you know? Um, so anyways, but it was, it was on that trip, you know, that week and a half down, people kept hitting us up about this, this thing we had done. And, <laughs> and we were just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. And then we, when we got to South by, it was like, we were kind of, everybody was just like talking about us. And we're like, well, this is cool. And you know, our shows went great. We ended up winning some award. It was like the first year of this award they gave to, you know, the best international act and the best mm -hmm. U.S. act to play at South by. And we were like, well, this is weird. Um, and, you know, the, the thing just kept rolling. I think the more surprising thing is it's still it's still rolling in a way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still become uh, it's still a, a big part of our history and something that people still point to. But but, you know, for us, we were just we expected to jump. um because that was our first record with 4AD, we expected something, some things to get bigger, maybe like two or three times bigger than they were just through that association and uh, and the record that we worked so hard on. But then, you know, really, it, it just it grew really quickly, very, very fast. So we'd been on this really long, like 10 year, um, or I guess it was eight years at that point, mm. uh, organic, slow climb. Mm. Um and felt really confident about who we were as musicians, um, felt confident about who our audience was and how important they were in connecting with them mm. to continue to make music. But that performance really just like <laughs> shot us up, brought in a whole new audience for better or worse, you know, because mm. I think we made some lifelong fans, a lot of lifelong fans through that. But it also, you know, you when you're in a spotlight, you open yourself up to to both sides, you know. Yeah, you know, up to a lot more criticism, a lot of misunderstanding. But you know that, and that's the. I think that's the thing that caught people about that performance was that it was really it polarized people. You know, um, mm. which is the as an artist, it's what you kind of hope to create, even if it's difficult because you have to deal with a certain backlash or being misunderstood. But at the same time, it's like that polarization is what what is what creates the conversation it's people like mm. you know two stones rubbing up against each other until there's a fire yeah. you know or is that how it works two stones I, I, I believe so but i've not been in the situation i've had to do with that but i i believe from <laughs> i believe from uh you know my, my education yeah. <laughs> but it is like uh you know that you know when you have people going this is amazing like no this is terrible you know that mm. <laughs> those two sides really create the conversation and we were just doing what we were doing. You know, mm -hmm. we, we just continued to tour and, and didn't really look at it. And that, that's maybe the one thing that I regret is that I didn't appreciate that time more and just kind of kept my head down and kept moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
I wish I had looked up and and been appreciative. But that's, you know, as I said before, that's one of my my issues. Like I think I feel, you know, since I was a kid, I I felt uh like I didn't fit in and I've always mm. looked for that place where I fit in. So so I think um keeping my head down allowed me to just stay within myself and and feel my own security uh within my within my band, my group of friends. But but you know, but then in the end, you know, you finally look up and you're like, where are we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what happened? You know, you're like on stage at Glastonbury and you're like, what's going on? We were we were like playing to 400 people, you know, a few months ago. You know, and the, those kinds of moments. And, and that's the thing that I miss is I didn't like that, like with Glastonbury, for instance, I didn't mm. get to appreciate it because it was just overwhelming, or mm. or I was just so tired from the touring instead of really uh appreciating it and uh and accepting that moment as a gift so so that's you know these but these are this is life you know mm. this is how yeah. life goes you, you don't always appreciate things in the moment uh if you're lucky you get a chance to look up uh years down the road and you can uh you can appreciate them and learn from them um so so i, I do feel lucky for that yeah. I mean, I guess it's interesting what you're saying about the hindsight and not appreciating at the time. And you do have the opportunity to kind of look back on these things. And it took a bit of time as well, you know, after the success of that, the attention of that. Like, so I've, I've heard you say that the far field wasn't, you know, you felt like it was, a, it was sort of an artistic compromise, perhaps, or you felt like you weren't in the right zone with that album. But like recovering from that, w w was there something like what, what kind of process did you have to go through and did the band have to go to to kind of find that that sort of inner strength again? Well, there was a few things that happened. So with with mm. both singles and the far field, they were written uh, in similar ways, but at very different times in our lives, like. Uh, we were with with uh, singles. We were coming off of five years of touring, like 800 mm. shows um, over five years. Uh, it was our first break we had taken because we were all able, you know, at the beginning of that, you know, in 2008, we were all making eight thousand dollars a year playing <laughs> 150 shows. And by the end of it, you know, we were like making a living, you know, mm. and we'd all actually saved up some money and we're like, you know, I think I can. I remember I'd saved up like 30 grand and I was like, this is going to last me forever. <laughs> like six months later, I was like, hey, Garrett, can I borrow some money? He's like, there isn't any money. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and then, and you know, we, we pulled, we pulled all of our money together to make, to, uh, to record uh, singles on just like uh, a vote of confidence, like knowing that it would come back through touring and these kinds of things. But, you know, even our, like Garrett, loaned shares for me and William, our, mm -hmm. our manager loaned some, uh, at the time he's our booking agent. He loaned money for us to make that record. It was really like everything we had, I was dead broke. We put mm -hmm. into that record, but, but we took six, seven months off, off and we wrote songs in that period. And then we went and recorded them, but then, you know, and then we hit the road with singles and we did like 320 shows over 22 mm -hmm. months, four months. It was a lot. Um, you know, it was kind of like strike while the iron's hot. So we took like five or six months, wrote a group of songs and then went straight to record them. Um, but we never like we never like like that album should be about how crazy the last two years had been. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like how crazy it was to like what we were kind of going through. But instead, it was just 
I mean, it was about what we were living through. Like that whole, all of the far field is really a being on the road on tour album, which isn't really what the average person <laughs> connects with. You know, yeah. mm. I mean, I think you can't, and I do think there are great songs on that record, but mm. to me, it just, there's there's not enough like variation and and I think there were ideas that we cut that we didn't record because we're like well let's not put a ballad here mm. or this ballad because because uh you know people like you know this more mid tempo up tempo jam so I mean that that record's pretty mid tempo so with as long as you are you know in the old days with our first 3 albums we basically do a month and a half of touring get off the road for 2 weeks write a song or two take it immediately on the next tour. Mm. If those songs survived. They became a part of the set. And then you get home from that tour for three or four weeks. You write another song or two. You take that those songs on tour. They survive. And then after like a year and a half, you have this collection of five or six songs that are really road tested. Mm. And then we would go into the studio, record those songs while writing brand new songs. So we did that for the first three records. And and it wasn't it, it was only through hindsight because singles well i believe singles is a very uh complete record and it really captured mm. a lot of different emotions within like that six seven month period but with the far field it was it just felt like we hadn't lived life <laughs> mm. you know kind of like i, I for me I, I felt like that it, a lot of it's on me because i felt like i was really grinding grinding down the same kinds of ideas because i hadn't lived anything different you know i was still just like i'm on the road i'm far away from someone i love how do i get and i'm still i'm i still work within that <laughs> that's still a part of my life it's still a part of the music but when you write us you know the first three or four songs that came out of the far field were really powerful but then mm. the next was just kind of like lost the tension but when you're writing a song every two, three months and collecting them, you're 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 kind of always coming at it with attention and an emotion and a feeling mm. and an inspiration. Like I need to write um, and collecting like a group of songs. So so with as long as you are, it was written over a longer period to try to catch mm. uh, catch those moments over time instead of um, you know because the other thing is you it's really hard to go from being the kind of robotic way you need to be on the road to mm. get through life, to kind of <laughs> go into tour mode, which is a little bit of disassociation, a little bit of self-protection, um, and but really getting through it. And when you get off the road, you don't want to, you, know, you want to rest. You don't want to like mm. go straight to writing, but it became really important with as long as you are like, we don't have to write right, but we have to make an effort to capture emotions in between tours and to capture mm. our lives. Um, and I think more so people who aren't there anymore is even more so of that um, mm. of that in motion. Because what happened was, you know, the whole world changed within the first song we wrote and the last song we wrote, um, mm. and as well as our lives, you know, because- so this is during the pandemic. This is- yeah, yes. The first the first song we wrote was Deep in the Night, which was written. Mm. I mean, I, I guess it doesn't go before. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Deep in the Night, I think, was written in Jul June or July of 2020. So it was kind of mm. heavy set within the pandemic. And then the last song was written in, I think, around August of 22. So so it's a good, you know, a good two, two and a half years. Um, 
of life. And so you kind of, it really, you know, to, I mean, I, of course, I'm going to look at it very personally and understand yeah. it very personally, but I know the great change that happened in there, you know, and, mm. and really within the first five or six songs, there's, there's a change. Like I always consider the, I consider that middle pocket of the record to be like the therapy suite, <laughs> <laughs> literally me getting back from, from uh, Sweden, um, mm. going through a breakup and then going to therapy for the first time in my life and being like, uh, how do I control myself? How do I control this, uh, this moment of my life instead of, uh, falling into, you know, negative patterns mm. of my past, you know, like, uh, self-abuse with, with drugs or alcohol or, uh, gambling. And I have all the addictions. <laughs> I just don't do that. I just smoke cigs, but, but those things course through you. And I was like, I want to control it this time. I don't want it to get out of my control. So, so, you know, there's that reflection within the album, which was a reflection within my life. Um, mm. trying to understand like Iris is a really good example of like, like, uh, why do I hold grudges in my life? Like, mm. it's accepted in my family. Like, yep, our family really holds grudges. Like, that's just the way we are. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, why? But why do we do that? Why do I hate so-and-so since I was four years old? Because I was told that so-and-so was, I don't even know so-and-so. <laughs> why am I carrying around anger for other people? Um, and these these kinds of questions uh, of trying trying to undo these cycles because once again mm. back to the cycles you know so much of coming home uh you know you say in within the record it's uh corner of my eye mm. you know I'm, I'm back in this room that i thought i was leaving you know i i thought my whole life was changing i just i you know on the last album i found love and peace and acceptance and now i'm back in this <laughs> this room you know mm. uh that I spent the whole pandemic in the pandemic's over basically September 21. And now I'm back here. Uh, like, what did I do? And why is this something that's happened to me before? And why am I going through this? How do I break the cycle? How do I break the chain? Mm. And, that, and that's Iris. Um, can we, can we break this, this chain? So, so yeah, I don't know the, uh, <laughs> I forget the initial question. That's uh, all right. It's just about the flow. It's about, I mean, I, um, but I guess it could lead on to sort of feeling like, so, I mean, you know, I, I guess a lot of kind of like work-life balance, really, you know, and, and how they sort of feed into each other. And um, how, how do you feel like you've changed the most, would you say, sort of since you started? Yeah, well, I think I'm, I think I'm definitely much more reflective in the moment. Um, I mean, I, I've definitely... I definitely am an emotional person uh, mm. within a relationship and on stage <laughs> um, and within my art. But I, I think, I think as of a few years ago, I became much more reflective within my art to try to uh, be just a better artist and, mm. and a better storyteller. You know, if you, that what did they say? There's three sides to every story. I, I've talked about this before, how it's like, I used to tell just one side of the story. I told my side of the story, mm. but if you tell all three sides, then you have the three songs. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. An EP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is like that idea of, uh, I used to just see my side and accept mm. that, you know, uh, if, 
if I'm speaking my truth, then then it's it's the truth, you know, mm. and, and why I often don't go into politics is because I feel like I don't educate myself enough. Like, I feel like if I'm going to sing a political song, then I I really need to read some books first. Like, I really mm. need to educate myself and and form my own conclusions and and really be truthful you know, truthful about it, mm. what, whatever. And I, I take politics as an example, but whatever I want to sing about, there needs to be truth and it needs to be from me. And and as a, as myself, I'm an expert on <laughs> myself. So that's, mm. that's usually where I, that's where I pull from. I pull from, from those emotions, but, but being reflective mm. within songwriting is very different and and being a good listener to yourself and your your band members is very different than being a good listener within a relationship. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, learning to once again practice and empathy so that things are not about you. You know, mm-hmm. not everything is about you, <laughs> which is is also very different within uh, which is an important thing within the band, which mm-hmm. is because I take so much. I think I pull so much from myself, you know, I ask my question, I've been asking myself the question more and more of like, when do I stop sharing, you know, mm-hmm. is is this the last, is this the last record where I sing about my heart, you know what I mean? Um, and, and because I think there's something that I give away in that, and there's something to protect. And that's not just my heart, it's the, it's the person who, who is a part of that. Um, so mm-hmm. And you know, I've I can't do it. I can't do it yet. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think I think just that that reflection and trying to be calmer and more understanding uh, of people because I believe that's who I am. But then in practice, I think it's really easy to, with time and space, to understand uh, how we act and how we react. But in the moment, it's important. It's, it's something that I'm working on and I'm getting better mm. at. It's really changed with me over the years, which is understanding uh, how people feel, you know, and that goes within the relationships within the band as well, because mm. when you're in a band with people for 21 years, like that's a marriage and that is something that needs attention. Um, and it's really easy for us not to connect with one another because we feel like it's work. <laughs> mm. You kind of ignore each other's kind well, of I mean, inner lives or feelings. Or... I mean, we see each other more than we see our families, you know, for mm. uh, sometimes. And and then when you get off the road, it's really easy to just be like, I'll see you in two months or a month or whatever. And and not continue. You just kind of forget that, that friendship exists. Um, mm. And uh and, and getting caught within the business. Cause I mean, that's a big thing that's changed too, which is, I think I really used to just be plainly an artist, you mm. know, 20 years ago, I was an artist and I really believed, I believed in myself in so many different ways. Um, and, and, uh, in my abilities with different things. And I, I think I question that more, but I'm also at the same time grounded and accepting of like, what it is that I do do well mm. <laughs> and kind of being more focused towards, well, I don't have to do everything, you know, my work needs to be separate from my life um, so that I can live life um, mm-hmm. and understand like, if you don't live a life, then there's no life to write about. 
Mm. You know, so practicing calm is and peace. I'm a very anxious person, so <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm. I have the same workaholic thing that my parents had, which drove me crazy as a kid. Like, can you just mm. relax? But now I'm very much the same. Like, I need to be. I need to feel like I'm doing something, or I get in despair or depression. But I'm. But I'm getting better at like being like, no, no, no. It's it, you know, taking your time and accepting mm. the fruits of labor, which is rest, is important as well. Yeah. And I guess, like you say, though, it's about, it is a practice, isn't it? It's something that you kind of have to keep turning up for and and, and being present for. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't want to make this the therapy podcast, but no. <laughs> yeah. it's something doing, you know, doing therapy once a week for uh, two years. And I guess it's, I'm just about to be two years has been really great for me to be accountable to someone who isn't my 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 friend my lover or my parent mm. or a cop you know? <laughs> <laughs> be like i fucked up last night man <laughs> like i got fucked up i'm sorry you know and you know i'm coming up on a couple years clean but i remember early on in therapy you know i'm getting out of this breakup and i just want to do drugs to quiet this pain to feel some other pain to take you know mm. it's like it's like uh stabbing your arm to make the fact that your foot is cut off not you know these kind these kinds of things so it's uh but but yeah after a few months i was like well, i don't want to do that anymore but i did have to be accountable to this person and that's been uh you know it's it's weird it's not it's not a friendship mm-hmm. but it, there is a friendship in there of like this person i can trust and i can tell them anything and it's it's helped me be, he, he helps me be reflective on me. I'm like, well, mm. I feel this way this week and this is how everything is. And he's like, well, that's not what you said last week. And then, <laughs> I'm like, do you really feel that way? And, but also understanding, you know, he, he the emotions ebb and flow and that's okay. Mm. You know, mm. okay to like, to go within and out because we will return to a safe, a safe place. But we do have to be mindful of that, but mm. So a lot, a lot's changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot's changed in the last twenty years, in the last six, seven years, and in the last mm. two years. Like I think my life has radically changed over and over. Mm. Thank you so much. That was Thank great. You. Thanks so much for uh, sharing that hour with me and, and sharing your thoughts. I really appreciate. I really that. appreciate it, Paul. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, talking with Samuel T. Herring of future islands um and we had that conversation towards the end of november 2023 i loved having that conversation thank you so much uh, samuel for your time there and sharing all of your thoughts um future islands sixth album people who aren't there anymore is out on 26th of january on 480 you can pre-order pre-order that now and the single The Tower is out now. Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. For the conversation you heard with Samuel, I used the 82020 USB mic. You just plug it into your laptop and it's, it just does everything. I love it. So easy to use. Yep, my book, Coming to Berlin, is available in all good bookshops or via the publisher's website, Velocity Press. 
and the music that you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode of Lost and Sound is done by Thomas Giddens there's a hyperlink in the show description to check out his other work hope whatever you're doing you're having a fucking lovely day today this evening whenever you're listening to this and I'm going to go and have a coffee chat to you soon <laughs>